However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For it is written, but, it, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's a direct quote from Isaiah 64.4. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the thing, I'm sorry, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words of man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things, the Spirit of God. They're actually foolishness to him, is what we read here. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we pray for more than information tonight. We pray for interaction. That you would radically, powerfully speak to us tonight. Lord, that we would have so much fun in your word. And that your word would be so alive and grip us. And it would land on fertile soil tonight. God, that we would truly encounter you. And be forever changed. So Lord, I pray tonight that you would radically minister now. Have your way, Lord, please. Do your work. God, we pray tonight that no matter where we're at, you would overcome every communication barrier. The burden is on you to teach, instruct, to save, to encourage, to challenge, to warn, to exhort, to equip, to incite, to ignite. So Lord, I pray that tonight we would truly engage you, you would truly engage our hearts, and that you would minister right where we need to. Speak to every one of us right at our heart of hearts tonight. And as you speak, May we hear you and be forever changed. We commit this night to you. Lord, let every second be redeemed by you. Immerse me in your spirit and then pour forth through me an overflow. That you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. That you would minister to each of us now, right where we need to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. 
Let the Bible always be that for which you hold all things true or false. And of course, if I say that of me, you can bet I will say that about all other information. Now, understand, in this world, we have the responsibility of communicating. But the communication in which we have between two individuals rests with a series of margins of error. One of them is because I have a particular concept in my head and I have the responsibility of properly taking that information but putting it into right words so that I understand that I'm saying what I think I'm saying. That's the beginning of it. But the problem is, is that unless I'm talking to myself, somebody else needs to hear it. And when somebody else needs to hear it, there is another side to that margin of error. And now the new margin of error is how they receive the information I gave them. That's two variables that are quite difficult to put in the line. And so what happens is, is that even if we were completely in similar circumstances, there are a whole lot of things that create proper problems for our interpretation. Where we've come from. Our cultures, our social strata, our education, the library of different experiences that we are able to call upon that we think best describe it if we were talking to us. And so what happens is that we are forced then, if we really want to communicate, to try to crawl a little bit into the world of the person we're speaking to. In this room right now, we have Zulu, Italian, French, we have Portuguese, we have Greek, we have Turkish, we have Tri, we even have British. And each of those, and probably others, Nepalese as well. And with every one of those, there are going to be differences in what I say and how you receive it. That problem can be daunting and can scare you from trying to communicate. You put beyond that the beautiful and glorious mystery of genders and now you've thrown something into like calculus from addition. So I'm speaking with Deborah. And as I'm speaking with Deborah, Deborah is Italian. She will receive things as an Italian. She will be trying to crawl a little bit out of the Italian culture to understand what I'm saying. I will try, if I were speaking directly to her, to try to crawl a little bit more into the Italian to be able to speak. I will wave my hands a little bit. My, I will sing, hey, because at least it'll make it a little bit easier. In this chapter, God shows us that the burden of communication is all His. And that, what, that is what makes communicating Jesus so profound that all of you can sit in this room and listen to a boy who was born in Chicago, in essence spend the last 20-something years in California, but somehow we all kind of get it. And that's what we have in this text right here. I heard a story about, and this is the problem with America's full of slang, as is other places. London, of course, is not short on slang. The funny part about London slang is, you go to one side of London and you hear someone say something, and then you go to the other side and you try to use that slang, and they look at you like you're from outer space. 
And they're like, what? We don't say that here, brother. Alright, okay, I got it. But I heard a story about a missionary that was trying to share Jesus in an African community where people were very literal in a lot of what was spoken. And as he was, he was using a lot of American colloquialisms. And he's like, Lord, the Jesus just wants you to be on fire for him. And the poor man next to him is looking and he's trying to explain to the people, he's like, God wants you to burn yourself. Because that's how he interprets what this man was saying. And of course, the more the man developed it, the weirder it sounded to the guy next to him. And of course that can be the case, but it gets beyond that because even if you use the same words, even the way that you say them can be different. Like for instance, get out or shut up. There are some places, you're in Florida and you're sitting with three different people. A teenager, a pragmatist, notice I put them as two different individuals, person who gets the job done. And let's just say, and an easily irritable person. And you run over to them and you say, there was a hurricane, what should we do? And the teenager goes, shut up. The irritated person says, shut up. And the pragmatist says, shut up. They're the same words. The teenager says it in disbelief. The irritated person just doesn't want you to speak. And the pragmatist says, we need to shut the house up and protect it from the hurricane. Now, that is why texting can be so much fun, right? I didn't like the tone of your text. Because you accidentally capitalized the A. Or because you put an exclamation point. Or you did an underline or whatever the case is. Or you did. Or you didn't put anything. I'm sure you were irritated when you typed this. That's the danger of the interpretation part of it. Now the reason I say that is, is of course, as you might know, is we do marriage counseling and have for over 20 years. Of course, it's one of the areas that people spend the most time on. One person will come in, and it isn't always the woman, ladies, that says, we just don't communicate. But the fun is that they can't communicate how they're not communicating. We just don't communicate. And the other one turns around and says, I don't know what you're talking about. You talk all the time. And of course, that never goes well. In this text, God directly addresses the area of the burden of communication on both sides. Remember, in the first five verses, God had said, well, Paul had said, that when he arrived in Corinth, now I remind you, we're in the 50s AD, after he had been in Athens seeking to hobnob intellectually, sorry, for those of you who may not know, seeking to try to show himself smart, to those who were in Athens who sat around philosophizing the whole time, and then realized in the end of it, although he had felt like he had matched wits with them, the response was tepid because Jesus requires more than simply an intellectual understanding. It requires some form of action. It isn't simply a merger of ideas. It requires faith. And faith does more than just intellectually ascribe to the information. Faith demands action. And Paul, though, in the area of Athens, has spent his time doing what philosophy does, which is, and it says that they did nothing but talk about and listen to the latest thing. So philosophy, in itself, practically, as defined by the Athenians in the book of, of Acts, was a group of people who loved to, in essence, sort of like play, think of it as playing Xbox with your brain. 
there's a lot of exercise that appears to go on, but really in the end, nothing really changes. And life is not affected at all unless you're grumpy because you lost. And in the same way, a lot of times, that's what happens. Now, Paul, when he says, when he got to you, though, speaking to the Corinthians, the next stop, he says, I reserve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and in him crucified. He says, this is no longer about me convincing you intellectually. This is now about me trusting the power of God and the tools he's given. They may seem crude, they may seem simple, but they're profoundly effective. Now, let me throw out some things as we dive into our text here. And again, don't just believe me, but I'm going to throw out some texts. Listen, Luke chapter 12, verse 12. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. He says, stop freaking out. Stop being worried about what you're going to say when somebody calls you to the carpet. He says, but rather, trust that the Holy Spirit's going to teach you in that hour. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, The Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I said to you. You need to recognize that the Holy Spirit's job is to teach you the information. No matter how much information I give you, rather eloquent or not, whether I, have a, whether I just sound like I'm belching and tap dancing, or whether the words are construed together in a way you can understand, the bottom line is no matter how well I communicate, if the Holy Spirit isn't present doing His work, you will not be taught universally transcendent, eternal things. You'll learn how to do things practically, but when it comes to the state of eternity, you won't get any information that will really do anything but bounce off of you. The Holy Spirit's got to be the teacher, and he does teach. In Mark 13, verse 11, Jesus says, When they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditated what you would speak. Now, would that be an easy thing to hear if you were arrested for your faith? He says, but whatever is given to you in that hour, speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Same thing reiterated in Matthew 10, 20. In Luke 21, 18, Jesus says, I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Understand, not only does the Holy Spirit teach, the Holy Spirit actually speaks. So I'd like you to start thinking about the burden of communication from the standpoint that God's own Spirit does the teaching to you and does the speaking through you. And this is not a New Testament concept. All the way back in Exodus, if there's one guy that wants to argue with God about his mouth more than anyone, we'd have to say it was Moses. And when Moses tries that little fancy number on God. God responds in Exodus 4.12 by saying, now look it, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you should say. Not a new concept. When David at the end of his life is about to pass on in 2 Samuel 23.2, he says, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. And Isaiah 50 verse 4, he says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. In Jeremiah 1.9, God said, after Jeremiah says, But I'm a young kid, I really don't know what to say. God says, Behold, now I have put my words in your mouth. God's job is to give you the words, not you. In regards to the first part of it, the speaker's part, that's God's job. It's his job to teach you, and then it's his job to speak and communicate that information to you. And that becomes part of the problem. 
Because as that is the case, there's a battle that goes on the moment the Lord wants to share through you. Because somehow we keep forgetting that we are really just something God chooses to use because he takes pleasure in being with us. So, case in point, let's just say that Mark is in, at Euston Station. As Mark is at Euston Station, he walks by the West Cornwall Pasty shop. And as he does, he sees a young lady there and she's crying. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him inside and says, Mark, and he says, I. And he says, go talk to that girl. I have something I want to tell her. And before Mark even asks the obvious question, he says, Lord, no, I'm not sure about that. That girl's going to think I'm weird. This is going to be weird. A weird event. He's not even asked what the Lord has to say to her yet. And so then, think about it for a second. If you were in Mark's shoes, would you say something like that? I mean, what if she thinks I'm coming on to her? I mean, here I am, I'm a guy, I'm going to walk up to her and go, what do I say? Oh, and the Lord says, but Mark, you were at that study on Wednesday night and you heard, that's my job to speak. So then he says, but it's going to be weird. Now, another word for weird, by the way, is miracle. You're aware of that, right? But think about this. So God has a little bit of a conversation with Mark and goes, you know, Mark, I have a message to get to this girl right now and it's a very important message and she needs to hear it. So let's review my options. I could part the heavens and speak. I could speak through the pasty she's holding right now in her hands. I could bring a group of choir round the corner and have them begin to speak in unison. Or I could use you. I could bring a dog over to this thing and have him begin to speak to her. Now, which of those is the least weird? And you're saying, but Lord, that's weird. And God says, yes, but it's the least weird option I have at the moment. Because she needs to hear. But what if she, what if she, what if she? And God says, well, then he says, well, what do you want me to say? And God says, I'm not even going to tell you, Mark, until you get over there. And at that point, Mark's like, I think the deal's over. I don't know. I don't know. And God's like, I thought you said you trusted me. And he's like, oh, you're going to pull that card on me. Okay. So he goes over there. And the next thing you know, Mark's sharing things. And have you ever had one of those moments where you knew the Lord was speaking through you? And you just went, wow, this is cool. And, you, and, and the problem is, when the Lord says, done, sometimes we get so excited, we don't think it should be done. You ever know what I mean? In Acts chapter 2, I challenge you to read Peter's sermon, because at the end it says, and with many other words, Peter exhorted him. God says, but I'm not writing those down, because I may not necessarily have said them. But I said what I said, and then Peter just kept going. You know, And that sounds like Peter. That's the same guy who said, it's good we're here, let's build tents. And he said, God said, he said that because he didn't know what to say. Can I say, if you don't know what to say, nothing is a great option. Not, I know, physician, heal thyself. Now, now hear me in this. It's God's burden to speak. And as it's the case, it's God's burden to, to speak to you. And he doesn't even say, now look at when he says, here, when you're called to speak... Stop thinking about it ahead of time. Isn't that when you want God to tell you what it is? But think about it. What if God said, what if Lucas got arrested tonight for preaching the gospel and tomorrow morning he's going to stand before the council? And to that until tonight, he says, Lord, tell me what I'm going to say. And what if the Lord said, okay, Lucas, here it is, ready? And he gives him this long dissertation that's about a 10-minute thing. And then he goes, okay, now that I've told you that, say it perfectly like that tomorrow. Could you imagine how, I mean, even if God put it on his iPhone, does that mean he would say it right? Or he'd say, Lucas, how about this? We spend the night praying together. You pray, I'll hang out, let's talk. I'll comfort you, I'll give you peace. And then tomorrow when I speak, you won't have to remember anything. You just have to be available. 
Isn't it a much better option? I mean, how crazy it is, how actually, of all of our choices, how normal God's miracles can be as a Christian, but we actually think they're weirder than the other options, which would be a talking pasty, for instance. But it's not only that God speaks through me, but listen to this. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 8, listen, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict, and the word there is the same word that's used for convince, the world of sin of righteousness and judgment. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convince, not yours. Now the problem is some of us are natural arguers. We can string together a couple pieces of information and put a decent argument together. But I've learned winning an argument does not win a soul, necessarily. Matter of fact, most of the time it doesn't at all. They're like, uncle, stop, just stop talking to me. You win, okay? So you want to give your life to Jesus? No, I just want you to stop. But when the Holy Spirit convicts, The pressure is off of me to convince you. Does that make sense? If the Holy Spirit teaches me, if the Holy Spirit speaks through me, and the Holy Spirit convinces the other person, the only question is, well, how do I get there if I'm so afraid? And that's exactly why Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now understand the word power, and there are different words for power, like kratos, like democrat. Dimas means people. Kratos means an assigned power, so you have an authority over people. But that's not the word that's used here. The word here is the word dunamis. We get the word dynamic from it. In a simple sense, dynamic is the power to overcome some form of resistance. A dynamic microphone versus a condenser microphone, two very different physics, doesn't send an active field out to gather information, sits on a film, a diaphragm, and when the information hits it, that resistance is translated into information to make a mic- to get that information down and ultimately to your speakers. That's what we're hearing right now. When God says, I will give you power, the idea is simple. I will give you the ability to overcome resistance. Now the question is, If God were to tell you, Deborah, I have someone I'd like you to speak with tonight. Hugo, I have someone I'd like you to share with tonight. Where does the greatest resistance come from? Can I just say, might I suggest ourselves? And if you will, if Jesus were to say it in sort of Brooklyn talk, he might say, I'll give you the power to get over yourselves. Because really, that's kind of the one big wall builder more than any is our own selves. We're quick to grab bricks and stack them up. And the reason I say all of that is if that's the case, there's only one thing left. If God does all of this speaking, how about them? How will they receive that information? And thus, that's what we have in the rest of our text. Verse 6, Jesus says, I don't speak the wisdom of this world. But I do speak wisdom. Notice in verse 6 it says, The wisdom among those who are mature or complete or advanced have run their route. And that tells me quite simply there are two wisdoms. There's a wisdom of the world and there's a wisdom of God. And they're very different. They're polarized. Yet not the wisdom of this age nor of of the rulers who are coming to nothing. God makes very clear that the things of this earth are all temporary. And no matter how Tightly we tether ourselves to the things here. They are all with an expiration date. Sooner or later, it's all going to expire. God has reserved everything for fire. Those benches, reserved for fire. This city, reserved for fire. This building, reserved for fire. This world we live on, 
reserved for fire. The universe we're in, reserved for fire. The Milky Way, all the way out to the end, reserved for fire. The entire thing, even the elements will melt in the fervent heat. Everything will, is reserved for fire and the only thing that will last will have to be that which is intangible. And the only thing intangible in this room are human beings and God himself. Oh, this flesh reserved for fire. And can I just say hallelujah? I am so glad I'm not taking this flesh with me to heaven. And if that be the case, the question is, where are we really investing? Are we spending all of our money making sure that we've built up a healthy tab on the Titanic? Or are we making sure that we really have a very healthy lifeboat? In the land that we'll be living for eternity. This is just a hotel room. And this is, we do speak wisdom. But it's not the wisdom of this world. And let me tell you why. And by the way, there's all kinds of other texts we can kind of do about that. Whether it be 1 John 5.19 where it says that even though the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In 1 John 2.17 it tells us that though the world itself is passing away and the lusts that belong to it. By the way, did you hear that? Every wrong desire you'll ever have, every menu that you've ordered off of that isn't God's will expire when that happens. Glory to God for that. But he says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It says in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8, when, by the way, Isaiah says, let's speak comfort to my people. And Isaiah says, great, well, what do you want to tell them? He says, all flesh is like grass. It withers and the flower fades. And you think, well, that sounds really comforting, doesn't it? He says, but... The word of our God stands forever. You see, the only comfort that the Bible will really provide will be for those that really are willing to look beyond this moment. And that is why, if you're stuck in the moment, why the Bible would probably be very threatening to you. But if you've ever been anybody that's been responsible, you know living solely in the moment is a very dangerous thing because you'll spend all your money on something you won't need later. I used to live that way, be very much in the moment, the problem is when you go to visit someplace is that you're there so much that everything you've got, all your resources are spent on that moment. So you're in Nigeria, all your money is spent on getting the coolest Nigerian outfits you would never wear anywhere once you've landed on the plane on the other side. And you've got a suitcase full of Nigerian garbs that will work out really cool for a costume party. With all due respect, they're beautiful outfits. They're just not necessarily something you would walk around Central California in. Although maybe we could have started something, I don't know. But that can happen to each one of us. We get so caught in the moment that all of our investments in the moment and we actually fail to see that Jesus says that there is a treasure in heaven that you can reserve that moths can't eat through, thieves can't steal, rust cannot corrupt. But everything here is that delicate, no matter what it is. Even alarms can be stolen. That's something I just read an article recently about somebody that broke into an alarm store and stole 30,000 pounds worth of alarms. Don't you find that a little, I don't know, that's sort of poetic justice or what, but... We speak, verse 7 says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Mysterious. And another word for mystery is surprise, by the way. And that's what we see here. It says, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God had already had a plan beforehand. God plans ahead. God never takes anything on the fly. And when, or takes anything without having a plan in advance. And with that, please hear me. 
The danger is not in the present. The danger is in missing the present. This is which none of the rulers of this age knew. If they had known God's wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hear me on this for a moment. There was a moment a couple years ago when Ruthie really, really wanted something. And I mean, she would, you know, drop hints everywhere. And Ruthie's kind of like that. She's not the queen of subtlety. So she took all of my post-it notes. That's my 10-year-old daughter now. And she took all of my post-it notes and she wrote, I want this thing and left it all over the house. I mean, all over the house. So it didn't matter where. I, I went to the toilet and it was staring me in the face. I mean, where I went. I mean, I'm like, okay, I got the point, honey. We're aware that this is what you want. And one day, just and if you know me, I, I would pull down the moon for my kids. And so, one day I had gotten this particular present and wrapped it up in the whole thing and put it right there next to the couch. And the girls came in from their day, what they were doing, and as they came in, they started to play, I think it was Wii back then, before we had gotten the Xbox. And as they started playing the Wii, the, 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 the actual gift was sitting right beside them, but they didn't notice. And they were playing, and I'm like, hey, 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 watch out. Be careful, you're going to knock that thing over. I'm like being as subtle as I can, right? There's a thing next to you you could knock over. You should, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. And they're back to their whole thing. And the whole point was, is they got so preoccupied with what they were doing, they missed the gift that was next to them. They actually went to bed that night. Well, they would have. They started to go to bed, but my wife is not that patient. She's just like, okay, kids, 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 look over here. Look, look at... And I was like, man, let him sleep, man. Now listen, listen. Jesus says this. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 44. Jesus talks to his men, listen to this. In verse 44, he says, Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now, understand what Jesus is saying. Like, I'm about to be killed here. But listen to what it says. But they did not understand this saying. It was hidden from them. So that they did not understand this saying. They did not perceive it. Now the question is, who did the hiding? This information was in front of them and they couldn't see it. Did God hide it from them? Did Jesus actually, did God as in the flesh speak this information, but yet the people in front did not listen, could not hear it because somehow the Father had hidden the information? It just says it was hidden. It did not say by who. By whom. It says they were afraid to ask him this saying. Listen to the very next verse. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. It's the very next sentence. Do you see it? You see, Jesus is like, look at guys, I'm about to die here. And they're like, nah, I didn't hear that. So who do you think is going to be greatest? I mean, Jesus is obviously going to be Lord, but who's going to be vice Lord? Am I going to be vice Lord? I mean, you know, Peter, the rock, you know, whatever. They're like, Jesus, they get behind me saying, you, you know, John, you know, I'm John, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. You know, I mean, think of the arguments. And the whole point is you get so caught up in that. Guess what happened? He got so preoccupied with, in this case, they got so preoccupied with them, they didn't see the gift Jesus was laying out of what he was going to do by dying on the cross for them. And let me just warn you, God has a lot of things he wants to say to us. And his Holy Spirit will not have a problem making it very clear to us. But we could be so preoccupied with ourselves, we would actually not be in a position to listen because we have blocked it. 
And what's amazing is, is even in those moments, we want God to speak to us. We really want God to speak right into our hearts. But even in the quietest moments, we'll throw on our headphones just to make sure things aren't so quiet. And God has to sort of get, he, he would have to like destroy our iPhone, our iPod. He'd have to destroy every other thing. And once those die, then your Galaxy, and then your iPad, and then your iPad Mini, and then your laptop, and then whatever else. And by the time you've he's destroyed 75 different mechanically, you know, electronic things in your house, at that point, you'll just start tapping on your lap to not be quiet. But then you're like, God, speak to me. Please hear me in this. Paul says we do speak something. It is a mystery. All that means is it's just something you haven't figured out yet. Isn't that what a mystery is? Now, does God ordain this before anything ever came? Before the ages of the glory? It says verse 8, because if, if they really understood this mystery, they wouldn't have killed Jesus. But this is what he wrote 700 years, 722 years before Jesus came, in this case, Isaiah 64. He says, listen, your eyes never seen anything like this. Your ear has never heard anything like this. You can't even imagine it. Now, I don't know how brilliant you are, how imaginative or creative you are, but I guarantee you, if you started with darkness, you would have not come up with a rainbow. You would have not come up with the crab nebulae, the royal borealis, or those really cool jellyfish that look like marquees somewhere about 300 meters deep in the sea. Or those things that look like the cool little light come into the light and then it's like the teeth are like, I, I, you ever see those things? Those are like way cool and bad. It's like God has his own horror film going on deep in the deep. And the funny thing is, until 50 years ago, we didn't have anything solid enough, maybe 70 years ago, we didn't have anything solid enough to be able to go deep enough to discover that thing. And God's had it down there forever. Well, at least since he's made it. But we think we're brilliant because we have so much information. And God's like, you have so little compared to what I know. To what I've actually have. It's like God has all of these other things yet for us to discover. We say the universe is expanding. Do you know why we say that? Because every time we think that's the end of it, there's more. And they're like, oh, it's expanding. Or maybe we'd just be humble enough to say, to be honest, really, we haven't gotten to the end of this yet. Can I say, I will never get to the end of the living God here on this planet. If I even got remotely something from that, my brains would explode out of my head. I don't have enough RAM space in my head to even think about for the moment how good God is completely. So listen to this. Though it is, though we can't imagine it, though we can't see it, though we can't hear it, God can reveal it. And here's the beauty. Is that though in communication, going back to how this thing started, there is the burden on both sides. My ability to communicate that information, but also in this case, Deborah's ability to receive that information with the same intent and meaning that I gave to her. But here's the beauty. It says that God's job is to reveal it in you. And then we'll read that God actually spiritually discerns it. God gives you the ability to actually see it exactly the way that it is and then gives you the ability to understand it exactly the way that it means. And that's all God's job. Now think about that. From the burden of communication, from the beginning to the end, God does the whole thing. All he's looking for are mouthpieces. Imagine, if you will, God actually said, Hey, Andrew, can I borrow your phone? This is God speaking. Now, understand, this is, you know, you know, I'm not God. I understand. We're both aware of that. Prayerfully, we all are. And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, God. Sure. You'd let him use the phone. It's like, well, who are you going to call? 
You know, I guarantee you it's not Ghostbusters, right? And so, you know, and you know, it's, he picks it up and he's like, I'm going to call someone and tell them I love them. You know, and it's like, well, what if they think it's me? Now, we would tend to think God would do that fine because the phone should be a fair way of communicating that information. It shouldn't, I mean, maybe he gets under a tunnel and gets warbled, but sooner or later you'll get at a place where he can talk it well. Now, that seems like, we, would, we wouldn't fight God to think, well, maybe he won't, it'll be misinterpreted between the phone and the receiver. But then God says, well, can I borrow you? You're my phone. And you're like, yeah, but there's another variable. I have a will and I'm full of problems. And it's like, yeah, but your iPhone or your, your Blackberry or your Galaxy could have problems too. But when the phone's working, the phone's working. Because the, the issue isn't the phone, it's the communicator. And God looks at you and goes, can I pick you up and dial you? And then say, Andrew, I, I have someone that I need to tell I love and I would like to use you. Now the beauty is that we stop freaking out and we just try to, we just want to work right. Because God's the communicator. Do you get it? So listen to this. And this picks up so we're almost done here, believe it or not. It says this. But God is revealed, and that's the apocalypse. It's the same word that we get the word revelation from, apocalypse. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches. And I love this word. The idea of making a very careful inquiry is the idea of the word ernaho. Um, and the idea of that, for instance, is an investigation, official, official investigation. The Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one really knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we've received not the Spirit of the world. Remember, everything in this world's coming to end. But the Spirit of God. Now, if you've received the Spirit of God, the interpreter lives inside of you. So let's say you start reading the Bible and you're like, I don't get it all. God says, did I tell you we get to get it all on this time? And you're like, did you get anything? You're like, no, I just got, and you reveal something, and it's simple and profound. But I didn't get this other part over here, and it's like, maybe the Lord just really wanted to tell you that. And we could get so busy, not, you know, we could, get, we could obsess on what we didn't get that we don't listen to what he did reveal to us. But I've learned this. God is such a, such a decent, right builder that he doesn't build the fourth floor before the first three. And if the, the Lord is speaking fourth floor stuff and you don't get it, maybe it's because he's still building your first floor. The problem is, stop trying to run up on a floor that isn't built yet. Enjoy the floor he's building right now. And when you sit down, you're like, I didn't get anything but, but the thing that you got was so beautiful. It's like, don't ever forget that. Because if you forget that for the things that seem a little bit more intellectual, you will actually lose the impact of how powerful that statement is because of the beauty of the simple. And so understand in this, he says, look at the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal, and you receive the Holy Spirit. And if you receive the Holy Spirit, the one who reveals lives inside of you. Think about how beautiful that is. And you're thinking, well, what about my brain and what about my heart and all those things that are going to kind of muck up and pollute? The Holy Spirit still doesn't have a problem cutting through all of that and interpreting it in a way that you can hear it, in a way that you can understand it. And sometimes, you know, it's like, look, here's the beautiful thing, is that the Holy Spirit knows how to speak the things of God because He's God. But because He's God, He knows how to speak to you because He knows you perfectly. You ever had those times, gentlemen, and I'm going to pick on us for a moment here, where you're trying to say something, but a gal's in the room, and she kind of got it a little bit. She turns to another gal that you're trying to speak to and says, what he meant to say is, and they say something that didn't sound even remotely like what you said, but they're like, oh, I get it now. And you're like, wow, it really took an interpreter to get that out. 
But you know what the same thing happens when we pray to the Father? Because it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. There are times when like, we pray, and, our, and let's be honest, our prayers are so selfish. We're like, God, I need, I need, you need to, you need to do this. And it's like, you need to do this and you need to do this now. But even though you're saying you need to do this and you need to do this now, what the Holy Spirit is, what, what Jenny's really praying at this moment is, God, please give me more patience. <laughs> and, and of course, sooner or later, her prayers start to change. Because what she was really praying and what the Holy Spirit was saying were two very different things. But the Holy Spirit saw her heart and said, this is what Jenny needs, not just what Jenny wants. And he does that for all of us. So listen, these things that we speak, not with the words in which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches. And it says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Literally, pneumatikois, pneumatika sun krinontes. No, pneumatikois, pneumatika means literally spiriting the spirit things. Or breathing the breath to be properly, in this case, to be properly judged. That's the word synchronotis. But the natural man, that's the carnal man, the sensual man, he will not receive those things because they're foolishness to him. He cannot know them by experience, that's the word there, because they're spiritually scrutinized. And the word there is anacrino. Crino, like the idea of passing a judgment. And the idea is quite simple. He's so preoccupied with his own things. It does not mean, listen, it does not say that he can't understand them. Remember, there's two words to know. Oidas, the idea to perceive, and gnosko, to mean to experience. In between those two, there's a step. It would be like this. I say to Hugo, Hugo, have you ever had the gelato at Amarino in Soho? They have this amazing, you know, uh, sorbet. This amazing limoneta. And he says, no, I've never had it. And I say, well, if you trust me, it is really amazing. Now, he has a perceptive knowledge at that moment, doesn't he? If Deborah says, hey, if we wanted to get pastors, and this is not manipulation, we wanted to get him some sorbet or some gelato, He'd say, I heard that he loved the limonata at, at, at Amarino. She'd go, oh, that is a perceptive knowledge. Does that make sense? But then I say, Hugo, you want to go get some sorbet? You want to go get some gelato? And he says, okay, that would be nice. And off we go. But the moment he eats it, he now can speak as an expert because of his own experience. Does that make sense? Now please hear me on this. In between a perception and an experience was a receiving of the information to action. Does that make sense? Here he perceived it. Here he experienced it. And in between, he took an action to go from here to here. Does that make sense? Now what it says, listen, is the natural man will not receive it. In other words, God says, this is amazing. My love, my salvation, this is amazing. Try it. At that point, they perceive the information. The Holy Spirit has made it clear. But now you're in a crisis of of commitment. Do you have to do something with it? And if you say no, you will never experience. The natural, sensually driven individual will say no to God. They will not receive this because they have discerned this thing to be a bad thing because they're discerning it from a a non-spiritual perspective. The Holy Spirit says this will affect you eternally. But we say, but what about now? Because the sensual person says, well, what about now? 
I can't sleep with my girlfriend anymore. I can't go do drugs anymore. I can't get drunk anymore. That's what I see in the now. And the Holy Spirit says, but from an eternal perspective, this is awesome. And you're like, yeah, I don't care about eternity. I'm caring about now. So I judge this bad. I don't want it. He goes, well, you'll never experience how good it is because you will not receive it because it has to be spiritually judged well. And you won't receive it if you're looking at it from a sensually driven world. Does that make sense? So understand that though the Holy Spirit reveals to an individual, if they're still driven by the moment, ah, this just won't matter to them. But that isn't where we are. What Paul knew in the end of it all, hear me, is just because you say no to the gospel, and not these people, but people, just because somebody says no to the gospel does not mean that Paul failed. Paul's job was to be the phone and to not cut out when God was using him. Does that make sense? Our failure is only in our disobedience, not in the results, beloved. The question is, are we willing to obey him when he calls us to the miracle? Because there's no greater miracle than somebody saying yes to Jesus. There's no greater miracle. So please hear me. He was spiritual, verse verse 15. Anacrino, same word, to judge accordingly. But he was spiritual, he judges all things, but he himself isn't judged. Because after all, he willingly receives the things of God. So who has known the mind of the Lord? That we may instruct him. But we, we have the mind of Christ. He goes, by the end of it all, in the between, this is, listen, he says, he has given us his spirit. And this is one of the most beautiful statements. Please hear me in this. Verse 12 says, we have not received the spirit of the world. We received the Spirit of God. No, notice what it says in verse 12, and we'll wrap this up. That we may know, and this is the idea of even perceive, the things that have been freely given to us by God. Hear this, understand, that's a gift. God has these gifts, and we could be so preoccupied, we could miss them. He goes, look at I freely give you this. I freely give you my love. I freely give you my peace. I freely give you my joy. I freely give you my hope. My kindness, my goodness, my faithfulness, my gentleness, my self-control. I kindly and freely give you those things without you deserving them because it's all about grace. I just want to give them to you because I'm so darn nice. I just want you to receive them. And inside the Holy Spirit says, He's right, you know. Those things really are for real. You know what the problem is, beloved? We could spend the rest of our life living like paupers in a king's house. Do you realize that? Because we've been raised for however long before we said yes to Jesus as spiritual orphans. We were like vagabond kids, ragamuffins, running around trying to get whatever we could. And then we get adopted by the king of kings. And unless we realize who it is that now is our caregiver, we'll live like we did before. But the problem is when you read the scripture, you know what it says. Abundant life, above and beyond what we can contain. Thirst quenched to the point where we become a thirst quencher with others because we become a font of that living water. Yoke being easy, a burden being light. Isn't that damning if we live in that place where it's like, I don't feel so free. Spirit of the Lord is there as freedom. I don't feel so free. I feel like I'm burdened down. I feel like I'm weighted. The world's chafing me. How in the world is this what the Bible says? And God says, I've got so much more for you. Cling to me. Cling to me and let me give it to you. And even right now, as I say that, I know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. 
He's saying, he's right, you know. I have it for you. And I really want to bless you with it. But now will you walk with me? Now understand, if God gave us everything, and, and if you're a parent, you know this, giving, I think the 12 days of Christmas made a little bit of sense, although I don't know about all the birds. But, I mean, I like the idea of not giving every Christmas gift at one time, because it's like, how many of them do you appreciate? You just get, you get more involved in unwrapping presents than you even do what the present is. Does that make any sense? And I watch it where it's like, I mean, when our kids were younger, it's like we might as well just gift wrap nothing because they were just happy to tear gift wrap and that was good enough for them. Let them do that for 12 boxes and then it's like, one of these 12 boxes has a present. Have fun unwrapping. Because once you get through the third present, you kind of forget what the others are and it's like, now how are they even going to play with all of these in this week? And you wonder, well, God, why didn't you just give it all to me at once? Because we would do the same, wouldn't we? Please hear me as we pray now. The Lord Jesus really has something for us in this. The wisdom I'm giving you here is not a wisdom that says, let's get rich and God wants you healthy and wealthy and wise. God wants you actually richer than that. With joy and love and peace. And if you think the best thing that God has to give you is a monetary blessing, you have the wrong God. In other words, you're basically trying to buddy up with the captain of the Titanic instead of actually speaking to the God who is almighty of eternity. Now, this doesn't mean God won't bless you here. He will, but if the best blessing you're still looking for is something and a monetary resource. And what you're getting is stuff that won't make you happy or give you peace or joy anyways. Let me ask you tonight, as we pray, where are you at? Are you afraid to share Jesus because you're afraid you'll share him wrong? Are you afraid that somehow you'll really muck it up? Someone will ask a question and you'll look like an idiot because you couldn't answer it. Can I just remind you, you're not running the universe, so you can actually not know things. That's okay. And to be honest, I've watched lots of people who were very skeptical about God give their life to Christ because they were so blessed by the humility of a Christian who said, I really don't know that, but is it really that important for you to know? Because there's something in the humility of saying, I'm not running my own universe. I mean, you're an atheist. You probably think you have to run your own. You have to answer everything. I don't. Well, that sounds really simple. Yeah. It is simple. God wanted it that way. Do you remember when you were a kid? And you felt like everything was simple because somebody else was taking care of you? That's the rest of my life. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. Thank you, Lord, that in a church that has exaggerated their affections of teachers, Apollos and Paul and Kephas, they're name-dropping, they're trying to look important because they think they have someone they know like it's somehow like a holy Hollywood. And yet, Lord, in all of that, you were so impressed and the church had become so carnal so selfish and so self-driven that people were comparing their spiritual gifts with each other to see who was more spiritual. There were so many ugly things going on. And you've said you use the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong and the despised and the base and the, the things that are not that the glory would be solely yours and not on your tools. But tonight, Lord, I ask your forgiveness. I want to stand in the gap and say, Lord, forgive us for somehow where we've put more of this burden on ourselves 
to think, and we've disqualified your ability to override our weakness. Your ability to be greater than our, than our smallness and cleaner than our filth and holier than our worldliness. And, and Lord, in the end of it all, I, I, I look at Moses being called and all of these reservations that he says of himself. And in the end, he says, just find someone else. And it finally gets fleshed out that the truth is not that he saw that he wasn't enough, but that he just didn't want to do it. So Lord, maybe we've deceived ourselves tonight into thinking that we think this is because we're not enough, but really in the end, it's because we just don't want to do it. I ask your forgiveness. If we've become somehow apathetic and uncaring and indifferent to a world around us who is quickly sinking in their own destruction, I pray tonight, Lord, you would reignite our hearts to go out and to be fearless by the empowering of your Holy Spirit upon us, God, we pray that you would give us right now that we would get over ourselves and trust we're simply the phone you want to hold to tell people you love them with the simplest message that you so love the world that though we were all sinners, you sent Jesus to pay the price for that sin on the cross. That all that sin could be vanquished that the sin could be punished, but the sinner could be saved. And that he was buried, and three days later, just like Scripture promised, he rose again. And Father, I pray tonight that if there be anyone in this room who has not accepted the gift of your payment for their sins, tonight that they would hear you and they would say yes. As the information's gone before them now, show them eternity as you reveal that right now and convict them and convince them of that being true. The question is, will they receive it? Lord, please tonight be relentless. If there be anyone in this room who has not accepted the gift of Jesus or you're not sure, you can walk out of here sure. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And instead of simply having you repeat after me, which I'm not against, but I would rather you listen carefully so you know what it is you're saying. At the end, I ask you to give a confident and resounding Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be mine. And here's the prayer. God, I do confess to you, I am a sinner. I'm not perfect. You know that. I know that. But you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all wrong. But you and your perfect love sent your only begotten Son, the only Son of your gene pool, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross so that all of my sins could properly be punished. And that yet you can offer me the innocence of Jesus, who though it was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. So I say yes. I say yes to Jesus tonight. I say yes to his payment for my sins. And as he resurrected three days later, just like you promised, he has the right to be my living Lord. So I say yes to him as my Lord now. Please now have me be the architect of my reinvention. As I surrender myself to you, make me someone who trusts you will use me in whatever way you want to change the lives of others. Make me such a blessing, I pray. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.